This is Confessions of a Closet Romantic, a podcast where I talk about my favorite TV shows, movies, books, and why I love them so much, without embarrassment or shame. Well, mostly. This is Poppy, and in this episode, a romance with rewind and binging, Outlander, and a discovery of witches. I remember my BFF and romance soul sister years ago pulling a romance book off her shelf saying, Ooh, you have to read this. It was Outlander. I think just the first and maybe the second book in the series were out at the time. But I clearly remember her bringing up the character of Jamie and just about swooning along with two billion other women. I tried to read it and it seemed interesting, but just didn't hook me. I was definitely not the time travel, sci-fi, mystical, fantasy-themed, anything fan. Fast forward to now. I was searching for something epic and romantic to binge during the pandemic. Suddenly, I remembered Outlander. Didn't they turn that into a TV show? Cue the mania. I found seasons one through three and remember streaming season one, episode one, just to see if I liked it. Immediately loved the fish out of water story and the woman tumbling back into history, time traveling from post-World War II England into the 18th century Scottish Highlands. The cliffhangers in Outlander are as epic as the show, so there I was, rinse, repeat, over and over and over, eight hours a day for two weeks. I couldn't stop watching or thinking about the central characters of Jamie and Claire, or the show itself. Claire is beautiful, strong, witty, intelligent, courageous, so she's a compelling role model. But then there's Jamie a character so big and legendary, he practically has his own zip code. He really is an ideal man. If wit, intelligence, strength, loyalty, moral character, and downright foxiness is your criteria for a lifetime mate. You know, for starters. I'll find you. I promise. If I have to endure... 200 years of purgatory. 200 years without you. And that is my punishment. That I have earned for my crimes. For I have lied, killed, stolen, betrayed, and broken trust. But when I stand before God, I'll have one thing to say to weigh against all the rest. Lord, you gave me a rare woman. God, I loved her well. He would have had to have crammed me through the standing stones to get me to leave him in the 18th century. That's all I'm saying, Claire. I was obsessed with this world. I watched it like it was my job. I went to bed watching Outlander. I woke up wanting to watch it. 
To say I was obsessed is an understatement. I managed to watch 70 hours, all five seasons, and read the first Outlander book, nearly a thousand pages, all within one month. I had to look this up because I was afraid I was losing my mind. But no, apparently I have a lot of company in these obsessions. Binging is a pretty new thing, and obviously concerning that maybe we're detaching ourselves from loved ones and uh, reality. The Today Show invited a clinical psychologist to discuss this binging phenomenon. Why watching multiple episodes of a show or putting a movie on repeat over and over feels so good. I'll post a link to the article in the show notes at confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. But here's the nutshell. Dopamine, the pleasure hormone, is released in our brains when we watch and rewatch a favorite movie or TV show or reread that book or binge watch something that gives us pleasure. Every time we watch or read, we get that dopamine high that reinforces the behavior, just like an addict. The good doctor calls this pseudo-addiction. She says the same neural pathways that cause drug and sex addictions are the same as an addiction to binge-watching. Okay, your body doesn't discriminate in terms of pleasure. Once that dopamine starts pumping, you want more and more. I want more and more Scottish warriors, more beautiful horses, more tartan plaid. Plus, there's that little psychological thing when we identify with actors or locations or certain characters. We experience it as if we lived it, like actually experienced memories. The more we watch, the more familiar the setting gets, so the more comforting it becomes. It's an escape from stress, so it feels good. Nothing felt better during the early days of the pandemic than living in 18th century Scotland and being romanced huh, in my dreams by Jamie Fraser. And then there's the complete blast speaking to other Outlander fanatics on Facebook, analyzing every minute of the show. There's not one standing stone left unturned. These ladies are witty and intelligent. They are so fun. And I can tell them without threat of being committed that I've rewound a particular episode eight times or told perfect strangers about Outlander hoping that they'll find as much joy in it as we do. I'm worse than the church people who come knocking. But then the inevitable happens. The series comes to an end. We've watched every available minute. And believe it or not, psychologists say we actually mourn the loss. I totally experienced this with Outlander which is why I started watching season one again just a bit after finishing all five seasons. I mean, it is the best one. Okay, put away your pitchforks. It's why some people work their way through the entire eight-book Outlander series and then start it all over again. Dinah Gabaldon put her whole heart and soul into creating this world. I'm sure of it. You can just feel it. It's full of characters who are so memorable, you don't want to leave them. 
which leads me to a discovery of witches. There is just one season so far. Apparently season two is coming soon. I have never read stories about witches and vampires, but I have fallen so hard for this story. This series is based on the All Souls trilogy of books by Deborah Harkness, which are fantastic. They're full of romantic tropes that leisurely unfold over pages and pages, which is still never enough for me. The basic story is about creatures, demons, vampires, witches, all of the freaks, the slightly offbeat beings that make the human world so magical. And how they're starting to die out, which means humans haven't noticed yet because creatures hide in plain sight. What a great metaphor. Vampire Matthew is a bioscientist at Oxford, and he's trying to figure out why they're dying out. Diana is a witch from New England and a visiting science scholar at Oxford, and she begins to fascinate Matthew. She calls up ancient manuscripts at the Bodleian Library to help her in her research. And she calls up one one day that hasn't been seen for centuries. Nobody knows how she accessed it. So all of the creatures of the world start to pursue her for its secrets. I completely and utterly bought into this story from the first scene, and I have no idea how it weaves its spell, except the production design, the editing, and music are stunning. And the two leads are just, well, gorgeous. Matthew Good is a sexy vampire. <gasps> yes. Not to mention, there is a kiss to end all kisses that comes at the perfect point in the plot. A major trope fulfilled. One of the most beautifully staged kisses I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> okay, the audio alone doesn't do this justice, but it'll kind of give you the flavor. This vampire speaks every one of my love languages. He practically sets me on fire with his talk of keeping Diana safe. Matthew. What time is it? Five o'clock. You've been asleep for ten hours. You were exhausted from the witch wind. Witch wind? Hmm. No witch has summoned it for centuries. You have to leave Oxford. No, I... I can't leave. Peter Knox will come after you. I can deal with Peter Knox. Not yet, you can't. Your power is extraordinary, but it's undisciplined. You have to come to terms with it somewhere safe. I could go to my aunt's. No. No, I'm taking you home with me to France. No witch would dare trespass on vampire land. You'll be safe there. This is the first scene where we understand that they're falling in love. It would be a dangerous cross-creature partnership. The forbidden relationship trope. 
the coolest part of this story as well is how Diana has to come to terms with her magic powers that she's denied her whole life. She needs to learn to accept herself and defend herself in this creature world since they're all pursuing her. Matthew tries to help her because he's falling in love with her, which is forbidden and dangerous in the vampire world. You didn't know that? Oh, neither did I. And you fly. No, but we can run and jump very well, which makes humans think that we can fly. And we're efficient, too. Our bodies don't use up much energy, so we have an awful lot to draw upon when we need to. You don't breathe much. Well, our hearts don't beat. Very often. I thought you knew about vampires. That's why you invited me to dinner. Probably know a little less than most humans do. Most legends about us were dreamed up by humans. Black hats and bats and brooms. Yes. Somewhere in all those stories, there's a speck of truth. Something that frightened humans and helped them to deny that we were real. What do you taste? Flowers and spice. You? And there's violets in there. Apocal sugar bones. Elizabeth Tudor absolutely adorned them. Ruined her teeth. <laughs> also, blackberries from hedgerows. Cigar smoke, red currants in brandy. I could go on. What would I taste like? Don't ever say that to me. I only ask to understand. You wouldn't be able to stop me if I struck, and I wouldn't be able to stop myself. I'm safe with you. I smell of you. Willow sap. Chamomile. Lady's mantle. Ancient things I thought I'd forgotten. And it's not only your scent. I can hear your witch's blood. Moving in your veins. I touch your skin. And it rushes to the surface. I've said on previous episodes that I've rewound that scene about 29 times, but that may be a for public consumption estimate. <laughs> My BFF has a theory that some works of art have like a pinprick of the divine, a light that shines on you when you open the book or watch the show or movie. 
They just radiate soulfulness that other art doesn't. To me, Outlander and Discovery of Witches have enchanted me so much that I really think this has something to do with it. I recently found out my 81-year-old mother is working her way through Outlander. This is after she asked me if I was watching Peaky Blinders. No, Mom, that's too violent for me. She says the Outlander battle scenes are a bit much, but she really appreciates the sex scenes. Mm-hmm. If you need to reach me, you'll find me in Outlander Season 1, The Wedding Episode. I wish. Or A Discovery of Witches Season 1, Episode 3. I wish. People of Romance, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think the rewind count on these is up to 15. Maybe add a zero to that? songs have been on obsessive repeat here, so I think this is the right episode to enter the confessional about it. I wish I could play these. One day, music licensing and podcasting will get their act together. But until then, you know that song in the Discovery of Witches clip? It's Lissy's version of Fleetwood Mac's Go Your Own Way. Her cover makes it sound like a completely different song. I was obsessed with it for weeks after I heard it in that show. I'll post a video of the whole song in my show notes at confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. That music director for Discovery of Witches is a genius because I was introduced to another song that became an obsession, Amber Rum's I Found. Oh, what a beautiful song about losing love and learning a lot about yourself. Oh, it's gorgeous. And then I've had an obsession over Frank Sinatra's version of You Go to My Head, Fred Astaire singing Never Gonna Dance, anything Paul Weller with the Style Council, Roxy Music's More Than This, and at various times, various love songs. You know I've got your links in the show notes. Tell me what you think, or better yet, record your confession at confessionsofaclosetromantic.com by clicking the little blue microphone at the bottom of the page. I want to hear about your love song playlists. I need to obsess over something new. Okay, here they are. Best pop love song metaphor category. Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. Man, I listen to this one a lot. Open up your fruitcake because I'll be your honeybee. Mmm, that's all I want to say. This will be my testimony. Best breakup song when one party refuses to believe it. Sweet Judy Blue Eyes by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I mean, the whole thing, the percussion, the guitar, harmonies, lyrics. I listened to this obsessively over weeks so I can memorize all the lyrics. Fear is the lock and laughter the key to your heart. And I love you. Chestnut brown canary, ruby throated sparrow. Sing your song, don't be long. Thrill me to the marrow. I mean, poor Stephen Stills. He busted out his best moves 
and it wasn't enough to get Judy Collins back. She said, Stephen, it's a beautiful song, but I'm still not coming back. Oh, best rock pop love song intellectual category has to be The Mayor of Simpleton by XTC. I have a massive affection for this band and this song because it was on one of the first mixtapes my ex-husband ever made for me. If depth of feeling is a currency, then I'm the man who grew the money tree. I don't know how many pounds make up a ton or the Nobel Prizes that I've never won. And I may be the mayor of Simpleton, but I know one thing, and that's I love you. When all logic grows cold and all thinking gets done, you'll be warm in the arms of the mayor of Simpleton. I mean, okay, best unrequited love song, Stardust by Hoagie Carmichael. I probably listen to this song a few times every single week. Sometimes I wonder how I spend the lonely nights dreaming of a song. The melody haunts my reverie, and I'm once again with you when our love was new and each kiss an inspiration. (sighs) Have you ever been with someone and each kiss was an inspiration? I remember at college one Christmas, I was living in the co-ed dorm, and I'd see this cute guy in the common room. So everyone had gone home for Christmas break, and we were practically alone in this huge building. So one thing led to another, and we made out, just made out, but without drawing breath, as Emma Thompson would say in Sense and Sensibility. On the floor of his room, uncomfortable for hours until dawn. You know what? It was really fun. (laughs) Best rock unrequited love song, Jungle Love by Steve Miller Band. I get shivers when I hear this opening. The propulsion of the beat is pretty sensual. The question to everyone's answer is usually asked from within, but the patterns of the rain and the truth they contain have written my life on your skin. You treat me like I was your ocean. You swim in my blood when it's warm. My cycles of circular motion protect you and keep you from harm. (gasps) Where is that isolated little beach bungalow? I'd love to feature your romantic confessions on the podcast. Tell me about your favorite romantic movie, TV show, or book. You can confess right on your phone. Just record a voice memo, click share, and email confessionsofaclosetromantic at gmail.com. Or visit confessionsofaclosetromantic.com and leave me a voicemail by clicking on the tiny blue microphone at the bottom of the page. Don't forget to let me know if you want your confession to be private or shared. I can't wait to hear your confession. Find show notes with links to what I've been babbling about at confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. It was so nice to have your company. Until next time, wishing you shame-free romance.